0: All right, you may be seated. If you've got a Bible, we are going to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6. One important announcement I forgot to mention was on January 10th, we're going to have a dedication and baptismal service. So um, I know a lot of people were asking about being baptized, some of the kids, um, as they go to Children's Church. So if they, if they want to be uh, counseled before January 10th, if they are considering baptism... Let me encourage you to them set up to come meet with me to talk about it um, about the baptismal service on January tenth, and uh, it doesn't have to be January tenth for all of them. But if they are interested, please let them come talk to me, and I'll uh, be love to talk to them about baptism and taking their step of faith for that. So, uh, good morning! It's uh, the most wonderful time of the year, right? And uh, come on, folks, it's Christmas season. All right, all right. All a bunch of ball humbugs in here, is that right? Uh, I love Christmas for many reasons. Um, It's a time of giving. It's a time for family. It's a time of reflection. Um, But most of all, I love Christmas because it's a time when everyone pauses or at least the world has to recognize the name of Jesus. Uh, It's a time where uh, whether they want to or they do not want to, um, they have to recognize Jesus or at least talk about him. And uh, a lot of people working overtime to take Christ out of Christmas, to take Jesus out of the message of Christmas. Um, But we shouldn't let them. If you're a parent or you're a grandparent or you're just a member of this church, uh, you should be sure this Christmas season should not pass by without you sharing with your family personally uh, what Christmas is all about. That Jesus is the reason for the season. That we may gather, we may get gifts, we may celebrate, but most of all, that Jesus is the reason why we celebrate Christmas, that we are to focus on him, we are to look to him, we are to share that. And so as a challenge for us as Christians, for you as a parent, for you as a grandparent, for you as a member of this church, to be sure to pray that God puts someone in your path this this season that you can share the real meaning of Christmas is all about. And, you know, we've been working our way through the names of God uh, in this series and the goal of it was to be, at the end of this series, be closer to God than we were before we started this series. The challenge really came out of us leaving our old place and coming to this place. Uh, and the question was, were we closer to God when we left that building than when we were when we first came into that building? And for us as Christians, uh, this is a journey that's a lifetime journey. We never arrive as a Christian. We should always want to learn. We should always want to grow closer to God. We should always want to be discipled by the Lord. And so by describing the names of God... It is my hope that in this series you see the attributes of God. You will see certain attributes of God and ways that He has acted on His behalf in the past and how they describe God and how we can know Him better and how we could love Him and respond to Him in a fresh way. You know, a lot of times our relationship with God will get stale and it gets stagnant. And we begin to just coast. Well, let's be challenged. Let's look at this and ask ourselves, how is my walk with Christ? I want it closer. I want it better. I want to grow closer to the Lord. We started out talking about Elohim. He is our creator. That was the first name of God we talked about. And uh, just driving in this morning, you see the sun. You saw the stars. You can see the other things at night. You can see the great creation, and especially for those hunters, those are outdoorsmen, you can get out and see the glory of God in creation. There is no doubt when you look to the world, you can see He is a great God. He is our creator. That we come from him and that he has created us in, in such a way. And not only created us, but he has a purpose for us. Uh, one of the hopes that I have and pleasure of knowing that God has a purpose for my life. He did not just create me and put me here and said, you're on your own. No, he's involved. He's our creator and he has a purpose for every person's life. And Josh preached last week about Jehovah Nisi. that he is our banner, that we are to pick up the mantle, we are to fight under the name of God, we are to fight for uh, his name, we are to fight for us as Christians to have our part in uh, this world. Um, Jehovah Rohi, one of my favorites, was the shepherd, that God is our great shepherd, that he, we are sheep, and we will have ups, we will have downs, we will be sick, we will be well. We're going to enjoy things and we're going to not enjoy things. But he is our shepherd. He is with us in all times. And he is in the valleys and the mountains. He is with us as Jehovah-Rohi. He is our shepherd. And all these names are great and marvelous. And as we uh, can work our way through several names in the Old Testament. um, But as we look to Christmas. I wanted to take three weeks just to talk about the name. That kind of pulls them all together in one name. That's the name of Jesus. And I hope by the time we get done with this, that by the time we get done with Christmas, by the time we get done with understanding the name of Jesus and what that has about the characteristic of who God is and his attributes, that we will have a right understanding of how wonderful the name of Jesus really, really is. You know, a part of Christmas is buying gifts, especially if you're a parent, right? You know this. you have the wish list. You have your children that want different gifts. Uh, I can remember growing up and going through phases and things that I wanted for Christmas. Uh, many of you know when I was younger, I wanted a remote-controlled car. It was a, uh, the Bear. It was a four-wheel drive mo- remote-controlled car. I can remember it was a Hobby World. Uh, it cost $300. And uh, when I walked away from there, my dad said, your children better play with this remote-controlled car, all right? Now uh, yeah, that was pretty cool because then the next year, I wanted a remote-controlled boat. That didn't work out too well for me because it got stuck in the middle of a lake. And I had to swim out and get it. Uh, but then I remember the Nintendo years, Tecmo Bowl and Christian Akoya, different things. I mean, I can remember doing those things. And with my kids, they went through stages. I remember Tanner loved Legos. Uh, he loved Legos. Let me tell you, you have never felt the pain of certain pain of stepping on Legos in the middle of the night on a wood floor, all right? Uh, if you want to hear a 300-pound guy squeal, uh, <laughs> I've done it more than one time, but now it's truck parts. They want new lights, new headlights, taillights, different things. Um, I'm not going to let their toot their truck. You guys know what tooting their truck is? I'm not going to let them do that. But anyhow, they, they're into trucks. But in the moment, uh, as you grow, all these things at that time brought satisfaction. They brought a knowledge of something that you were desiring. And when we look through the Old Testament, that's what we see. God reveals himself in certain times that he shows us one of his attributes, like Jehovah Nisi. That's when Moses was tired of fighting the battle and they came and held his arms up and he said, this is God, Jehovah Nisi. He will fight. We will fight under his banner. We talked about, uh, with Abraham, with Jehovah Rapha, he will provide and, and several things. As you go through, you see God has shown himself in different ways through experiences piece by piece. But through the Old Testament, it builds because you kind of feel like there's always something a little more and a little more and a little more. But let me tell you, when you get to the New Testament, you understand by the time you get to the end of Revelation that there was a name of God that's above all names. And that name is Jesus Christ. And when we come to the name of Jesus, we find the fullness of God. We find all who God is wrapped up in one name. And so much so that when Christ was revealed to us, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That everything God is, is in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, for the next several weeks, I want to unpack it. I want to look at it. And I want to use Isaiah verse 9, I mean chapter 9, verse 6, to unpack the name that's above all names. And I hope you will memorize this scripture with me. Uh, it's a great scripture to memorize. It's got some uh, five particular characteristics of who Jesus Christ is, and it really will help you understand why to be so excited about Jesus Christ. So uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6, I'm going to read it again. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace and if we just treat that as a birth announcement so to speak if you treat this as just a prophet foretelling something that's going to happen in the future Isaiah comes and I want you to know there is one coming it is a it is a child of God it is one who is coming an announcement for unto us is the declaration for unto us he did not Uh, select a great uh, certain group of people or a group of class of people. He just says for unto us. And if you think about it, Prophet Isaiah here was living in the days where the nation of Israel is very dark. Israel had wandered from God. Israel had literally got to the point where they had nailed the temple door shut and they were not worshiping the one true God. And, And because God had told them not to worship or have anything to do with the gods of the world. And the nation of Israel, they started by just acknowledging other gods. They were like, well, if that's your god, that's fine. You can go ahead and worship your god. And then they begin to include their gods into some of their worship. Well, if you want to bring those gods into our worship, that's fine. Well, we know that never ends there. It ends up coming that the false gods take over the worship of the one and true God. And the one and true God was pushed out of the worship of Israel. And so it was dark. So dark. Like I said, they nailed the temple door shut. And the one and true God was not worshipped anymore. You say, wow, that's terrible. I cannot believe that happened. Well, it happens every day. It happens even in countries. It happens even in our country sometimes. If we don't protect against the things that are ungodly in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our nation, we're going to be in trouble. We already are in trouble. If you could say maybe 50% of the people still desire to to have God anchored in, in, in this country and his principles, I would be surprised if that's even a number. And if you think about it, so many issues, and not even just covered anymore, but blatant transgressions against God and his word in an open and public place. And if you think about it, I think it would be fair to say that we have drifted from our foundation. Not just in our country, but even in our churches. Um, I have read and see different articles talking about denominations and different long lines of, of belief systems that has compromised the Word of God. Has compromised God and who He is. And if you think about it, every time we drift away, it allows the devil to bring in these uh, ideals of idolatry and it takes us down a path of destruction. That's where it leads. It never leads to anything but destruction. And once again, as he heeds this warning, and he says, here we are, we are away from God, no hope of God. And Isaiah is saying, we are dark, we are desperate, and we can't reach God. And if you read the Bible, when you get to the end of it, you realize that Jesus is the hero and man is, uh, is the sinner. See, in the Garden of Eden, Adam could not reach God. At the end of the law, the nation of Israel could not reach God. At the end of the prophets, they could not reach God. At the end of all that there was in the Old Testament, you cannot reach God. At the end of America, we can't reach God. At the end of the Southern Baptist, you can't reach God. At the end of the Methodist, or whatever else you want to put in there, you can't reach God. And it sounds dark and it sounds hopeless. And it should be because it is. It is a hopeless situation. Man cannot reach God. It is not up to man to be able to reach God. But the good news is when it comes to the Christmas story, that's part of the glory. The glory is that we could not reach God and we are hopeless and we are empty. But that God is going to reach us. That unto us, those who have failed, those who have sinned, those who are in the midst of darkness and hopelessness and idolatry. Isaiah says for unto us, for unto all those who have failed before and have given up on God. Here comes a birth announcement that's going to initiate salvation, not based on your merits and not based on your credit. Think about it. Mankind had nothing to do with it. God chose to do it because of his great love. That's the glory of the story of Christmas. You think about the great invitation. For God so loved the world. For unto us, for every one of us who have failed, for every one of us who have sinned, for every one of us who may have walked away from God. It's a great invitation that we are hopeless and that we could never reach God. But the hope is that for unto us. I know 2020 has been rough. 2020 has been tough. 2020 has been tough personally in my own life. It's been tough to a lot of people in this church. It's been tough to a lot of people in our country. It's been tough to a lot of people that may have failed in in a marriage or may have failed as a parent or may have failed in their health or may have failed just in general. But listen, as we go through this world and we see the darkness and we see the hopelessness, let the message of Christmas ring for unto us. There is hope. We can have hope in Jesus Christ and the solution is not in in, in something that man can do. The solution is in a child. He says, for unto us, a child is born. Think about that. A child, Jesus Christ in the flesh, God becomes man. You ever thought about that? It's when deity takes on humanity. It was in the moment and time and space where God took on flesh, where Jesus Christ took on flesh to live on earth as a man. You say, well, why does that mean so much? What, is, what does it mean? I'm so glad you asked, Brian, because I'm going to tell you. You ready? Uh, God's, it's so important because God's love and His grace is balanced by His justice and wrath. God just couldn't overlook sin. God just couldn't overlook it because of his justice and because of his righteousness. When God's justice and righteousness is violated, he has to act. And the act is, is that he has, got to, he has got to judge that and make it right. But it's also balanced by his love and his mercy. And see, so the violence by, by his justice and wrath being overridden by his love. No, it works in perfect harmony with his love. Yes, Jesus Christ had to take on flesh because he was going to take on our sin for us. That he was the sin. He was going to come as born into this world as a man to do something that you and I couldn't do. Jesus Christ came to live a sinless life. So when we talk about salvation, we talk about what we believe in salvation. It's very important. You see, Adam couldn't do it. Man couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No preacher can do it. Billy Graham couldn't do it. No one could live a perfect life. But there was a man named Jesus who did what none of us could do. He lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He did not sin. He was sinless in his nature. He lived a life that was sinless. And he became our redeemer. For Hebrews 4.15 said, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points we're tempted as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. Without sin. Jesus never lost his temper. Jesus never had a spin pure thought. Jesus never did, At one time, fail God's perfect righteous standard. And Jesus was tempted. Matter of fact, in the gospel, you see many times he was tempted. And but three in particular, of the great temptations in Matthew chapter four, you can look them up later. First time he was led into the spirit of wilderness, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, 40 minutes, I'm ready to eat anything in sight. I can only imagine 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. The devil came to him and said, Hey, take these stones, turn them into bread, and you can have eat. Jesus said, Hey, man does not live by bread alone, by, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, I love it. Number two, Jesus came to him, took him up on the pinnacle of the temple. He said, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here and let the angels catch you before you hit the ground. Jesus said to him, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Strike two. Third time, devil came again, took him up to a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, Listen, you can have all these things. All you have to do is fall down and worship with, worship me. And Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Man, what a what a hero, what a champion. He didn't sin one time. The great deceiver himself even came to him and tempted him at all points like his man. Severe attack, severe temptation. Jesus was sinless. And why was it important he was sinless? Because he was qualified to be your sacrifice and your substitute and my sacrifice and my substitute. If Jesus had died on the cross as a sinner, he would have paid his own price. But you see, he didn't have a price to pay because he was sinless. And he took your sin, and he took my sin, and because of what we had done, he took them upon himself and he became our substitute on the cross because he was sinless. A great scripture, I hope you would commit this to memory as well. Second Corinthians 5.21, a great scripture in salvation. For he, he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Look what it says, it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That means that Jesus was sinless, but he became sin for you and for me. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God took all my anger. He took all my failure. He took every impure thought I've ever had. He took everything. He took the judgment of God so much so that he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became sin for me. He took that condemnation. He took that wrath and he took it for me. And I'm the sinner and he was the Savior. He was sinless, and I was the sin, and he took it upon himself, and he imputed me His righteousness on my behalf. Think about that. Not only did he cancel my debt, but yet he gave me his righteousness. I went to school in Alabama, took business class there, but it doesn't take that to even know from a school from Alabama, that's a really good deal, trust me. If he's willing to take my sin and give me his righteousness, that's a no-brainer. And before God, as we go to the Lord and we've received Jesus Christ and we've taken his payment on our behalf, we don't stand before God as a condemned sinner. We stand before God as the righteous son of God. Think about that. Man, what that's the glory of the story. It may be dark. It may be desperate. We may have sinned. We may have failed. But when we come to Jesus Christ, the hope in his name is that we stand before God righteous just as Jesus had never sinned. Man, that's a good deal. Let me tell you, how do you earn that? You say, Pastor Ted, man, I don't know if I could ever work hard enough for that. It gets better. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift that was given to you and to me and to all those who will believe. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about it. Did I deserve it? No. But I sure do enjoy it. Trust me. I stand up here every single week to preach to you a gospel that's not based on my own merits. If you followed me around for one day, you'd realize that I am fatally flawed and I, I am sinful. But I serve a Savior who took my sin and washed me white as snow. And I could stand up here and say, don't be a better person. Don't join this church. Don't, don't give more money because you're going to earn something. No, I stand up here to say you can have salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. Listen, if he's done it for me, he's going to do it for you. And listen, for every person that calls upon his name, that's the glory of Christmas. We can look to every person and look them in the eye and say, God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And there's a name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. Another great set of scriptures when we come to Jesus. Verse 4 starts off with, but God. Let me tell you, when you read the Bible and it starts off with those two words, it's about to get really, really good. (laughs) All right. If we could just think about our life of how destructive and how many times we have failed or whatever we maybe go through and all of a sudden God steps in, something really good is about to happen. And that's what he's saying here. We are terrible. We are sinful. But God is rich in His mercy. And because of His great love in which He had loved us, rich in His mercy means doubled up. It's kind of like gravy and extra gravy on biscuits all right that's what you double up on that all right it's doubled up it's heaping it's rich it's rich because we have failed so miserably we have sinned, but yet his mercy has doubled up on us and because of his love he loved us and we were dead in our trespasses and sin made alive together you ever see dead people respond no they don't respond because they're dead And yet, he comes, he quickens us, he brings us back to life, he gives us life again, he raises us up to sit in heavenly places. And then it says in verse 8: for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Think about that. Not one thing you can do to earn this. It's a gift of God, and not of works, and no one should boast. When you come to Jesus Christ, you find this offer of salvation and his name is so great because of what he's done for us. And in God, we see Jesus Christ as the fullness of his glory and his grace. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we understand it is a gift that's been given and we don't have to work for it. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to be a better person, but yet we just have to receive it. We receive the grace that God has given me, given you and given me. It is a gift of God. If you are exchanging gifts with someone, and they gave you a gift and you tried to pay for, that, pay for that gift. Would it be a gift any longer? No, it's no longer a gift because you're paying for it. But when someone gives you a gift and you receive it, it's a gift that comes with no other, no other things that you have to do. It's not that you work for it. It's not that you pay for it. It is the gift of God. And when we come to Jesus Christ in his name and who he is, we see a generous God. We see a God who's given a gift to you and to me. It's given us the opportunity to have hope in his name. Not only that, finished out the proclamation. We're not going to get to the names of Jesus, but we'll get on to that next two weeks. But think about what it says. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. This day is, This is very important for us to learn. We come to Christ and he saves us and he puts us into his kingdom now. That we no longer live for the earthly kingdom. We no longer live for the things of this world. Now we are living for the kingdom of God. That in our lives what's most important is what we do for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of this world. You know, I think for us as Christians, a lot of times we get sidetracked because we look to the trinkets of this world and we forget that we're part of another kingdom. And we'll fall after things that that on this earth that we follow after just the little trinkets that He tries to give us. And in the end, what are they worth? Nothing. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul, what good is it? It's good for nothing. And for us as Christians, especially at a time of year like this, we get pursuing after things that we think really matter. A job, a, a money, or possessions, or pleasure. But at the end of it all, guess what they're worth? Nothing. And that's what he's saying here. This king's going to come, and when Jesus comes in him, it, it matters not just this earthly kingdom. It matters of the heavenly kingdom. What are we doing for God? What are we doing for His name? What are we doing for the name of Jesus Christ? And what's done for Jesus is all that's going to matter. And think about it. When you read the story and you get to the book of Revelation, you realize that Jesus wins it all. He's the winner of it all. You know, I like, uh, I like being a winner. Um, that's why I used to really like being a Gator fan. But anyhow, last night I was watching the Gators again. They won the SEC East. Um pray for us. We've got to play Alabama here in a couple of weeks. Um, but one of the clips they showed on there was Tim Tebow played there. And the last time they played, they beat Alabama and they were doing that stuff. And Tanner looked over and goes, boy, dad, that was the glory days, wasn't it? <laughs> and it was because it's enjoyable. When you, when you win something, you're part of a winning thing. It makes you feel like you're on the winning side. Like you're part of something that's going, like part of something that's accomplishing something. Well, for us as a Christian, we must never forget we're on the winning side. And many times you may pray with your family, you may serve the Lord, and you think it's not adding up, but this is, not the, this is not the place to add things up. What we see with our eyes is not the end of the story. This is not our kingdom. This is not the final say. What's gonna matter is when we stand before Jesus Christ one day and He asks and He looks at you and He says, What have you done? And we look before Him and we lay our life, our life is laid out before Him. We wanna hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I wanna hear. And listen, you're not gonna get there. By going after the things of this world. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you're part of a heavenly kingdom. You're part of a kingdom of God now. And the question is, what are you you investing in in your life? And you think about it for you and for me, it's pretty easy. A lot of times we use around here three things. Time, talents, and treasure. If you were to carry around a clock with you and, and log every minute that you live and see what you put it into an earthly kingdom or heaven kingdom by the time how you spend your time because time is precious time is something that once it's gone you never get it back i think about it every time i look in the mirror or <laughs> go outside or think about times that you never get back as a young person once the day is gone you never get it back and you ask yourself what am i investing my time in We can watch a show for two hours. We can go to the movie for four hours. We can watch a TV sports program for three or four hours. But man, we can only give five minutes to prayer. We can only give two minutes to a Bible study. We can only give an hour of our week to go and worship God. The question is, what do you do with your time? And then you can look at your talent. God has given you a talent not to make a lot of money, not to make a lot of friends, not to be popular, but to serve the church, to serve his kingdom. We're a body of Christ, and when God calls a body together, it needs all parts. It needs the eyes, the hands, the feet. It needs everything. And part of the body functions because all the members come together and serve as they are called to serve the Lord. And the talents that God has given you, you use to serve the, the church. And all of us have at least one talent. The Bible says, For each have received a gift. You have a gift, I have a gift. Some of us only have one gift. Some have a couple gifts. But we all at least have one. And the question is, are you using your one gift or your talent somewhere in the kingdom of God? Maybe with kids. Maybe singing. It may be, it's definitely not mine. But If you ever heard me sing, you definitely know it's not me singing. It may be teaching. It may be mentoring. It may be encouraging. It may be giving. Are you taking what God has given you and using that gift for the Lord? And if, if you take your uh, time, your talents, and your treasure, and you ask yourself, "What am I doing? My money? Am I investing in the kingdom of God?" And look to see the way you spend your money, the way you spend your resources God has given you. Are you using it based upon the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of this world? It's like Isaiah says, when you come to know Jesus Christ, He is now part of your kingdom. You are to serve Him. You are to be about His kingdom. And not our own. The government will be upon his shoulder. It's not about an earthly nation. It's not about a family name. It's not about being a good person. It's about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For unto us, maybe you're hopeless. Maybe you realize that this is the time of your year when you come to the end of yourself and you say, I don't have any hope, I've wasted another year. For unto you, for unto me, a child is born, a son is given, and the government be upon his shoulder. And the question is, do you know Jesus, the name above all names? Let's pray this morning.